looking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolph fans? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It is Friday. NCAA tournament is here. The new league year is here. And on today's show, we're catching up on the latest roster activity. We're going to take a look at the remaining free agent board heading into week two of free agency, reset the roster, and you guessed it, break down all the signings and roster moves with tape study, roster impact, scheme fits, all of that, and a whole bunch more on this Friday, March the 19th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And if you have not listened to the Wednesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast, or if you're new here to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, go back to the Wednesday show and get the breakdowns on Bernardrick McKinney, Isaiah Wilson, Michael Pilardi, and Seathan Carter. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button because we're going to be bringing you guys interviews with each of the new acquisitions here with the Miami Dolphins as the new league year is here. And we are talking free agency and new roster moves and how they might fit into the roster. And, you know, we covered the day one aspect of free agency and played some audio there from Coach Flores about how maybe you can't always get what you want in free agency. Well, that played out kind of like he said it would on that podcast or on that interview in that press conference. And today we're going to dive into the additions that really began to trickle in from reports late on Tuesday evening from those around the league, the Tom Pelissero's, the Ian Rappaport's, the Adam Schefter's, all the heavy hitters in the league. And then into Wednesday morning, a couple more additions to the roster. We're going to go in chronological order. So we start here with the first one that came across that we did not cover on Wednesday, and that was Malcolm Brown, the running back formerly of the Los Angeles Rams, now your Miami Dolphins. An undrafted free agent out of Texas in 2015 of the St. Louis Rams, who of course moved to Los Angeles in 2016, but he spent all six of his years there in the NFL with the Rams, averaged four yards per carry over his career, 1,188 yards on the ground. He's 220 pounds, and man, watching this guy on tape, he packs a punch, an absolute hammer in short yardage situations. And he's got a nose for picking out blitzers in the passing game to really help buy his quarterback that extra half second. When you watch a running back work through their pass protection responsibilities inside out, you want to get the immediate pressure off the quarterback, whether it's the nose tackle, a linebacker coming up the A gap, and then you work to the outside because that's a longer path to the quarterback. So take away the immediate pressure and you see the way he processes that in the film. It seems to really really click for this guy in pass protection. So three down back that can stay on the football field. And the thing I like about his running style, his legs never go dead upon contact. He squeezes every possible inch out of each run that he has. And he's kind of a build-up speed type of guy that then seeks collisions in that second level. You're going to have fun watching this guy run the football. He's a smart runner with patience, vision, and a knack for finding lanes in the passing game on screens, swings, and flares. The Rams used him in every asset imaginable or every aspect of the game imaginable. So you think that that flexibility here has to have attracted him to the Miami Dolphins brass. And the fit 
you know, talking about the the system that he was in with the Rams, we all know Sean McVay runs one of the more popular schemes in the NFL in terms of the adaptations of it with Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco and Matt LaFleur with the Green Bay Packers and now Mike LaFleur up with the Jets. Plenty of that system in the NFL. And what's that system based upon? Wide zone runs that help set up the play action bootleg to get the quarterback naked on the backside and make throws that way. And as a result, 210 of Brown's 307 career attempts, so about 210 to 97. Actually, it's exactly 210 to 97 in terms of runs from gap scheme versus zone scheme. And it looked like, to me, he was best when he could get north and south and drop that shoulder and inflict punishment that way. Looking at some of the stats, we talked about pass protection. 140 career pass protection snaps for this guy. Zero sacks allowed, three hits allowed, 11 pressures in his career. So he's really, really adept in pass protection. In fact, Jordan Rodrigue of the Athletic for Los Angeles Rams said that he was both a great mentor to young backs, fantastic and, and fantastic in pass protection. And that bears out here with the statistics and, you know, keeping the quarterback upright, 97.9% of his reps in pass protection. He also converted six out of eight short yardage runs last year on third or fourth down. That's third or fourth down with less than three yards to gain. He picked up six of those eight attempts. He also forced 17 missed tackles on 110 attempts last year. So he's going to make guys miss, which really is the running back's job is to make the first tackler miss, right? He's so good at doing that. So you see the fit there as well. And the Rams more than doubled his career pass targets in 2020. He caught 25 of 34 passes, 75.3% reception rate for 175 yards. And I mentioned that he was good at picking up little little holes in the screen game. 194 of those 175 receiving yards came after the catch. So he caught the ball behind the line and gained yards that way. He fits into this backfield with Miles Gaskin and Savon Ahmed, a pair of sub 200 pound backs, the guys that had the most work last season. So he provides some balance in terms of that bigger back, short yardage prowess, a guy that can play on the field, all three downs, like we mentioned, and not to leave out Patrick Laird, Jordan Scarlett, and Seathan Carter off this list. Just talking about last year's top two production running backs on the roster, he offers some juxtaposition to those guys. So you get some depth here. You get a three down back. And I don't think this prevents the Dolphins from continuing to address the running back position as we head towards the draft. More on that here in just one second at the end of this podcast. But the number one takeaway for him is that I think that he ran so much outside zone with the Rams. And I think that kind of the inside runs, inside zone or gap scheme or duo, some things he can do inside might be better for his skill set as far as a match for Malcolm Brown. So that signing came in on or the announcement of that signing came in on Tuesday night the rumors from I believe it was Tom Pelissero we also got another addition to the backfield or reports of that addition to the backfield on Tuesday night with quarterback Jacoby Brissett and the note that I put down here with Brissett is the juxtaposition from Ryan Fitzpatrick to Jacoby Brissett as your backup quarterback you want to talk about risk adverse his 1.3 percent interception rate is the lowest in NFL history among all quarterbacks with at least 900 pass attempts. He's not going to put the ball in harm's way. So if he comes off the bench in relief of Tua, if Tua gets injured and has to come out of the game, this guy's going to come in, protect the football, manage the game, and keep you in the game and let your run game and defense take advantage that way. He also, you want to talk about a prime mentor, a guy that is beloved by his teammates. Go check out 
anytime he gets on the field for the Colts. And he did a lot last year because they would use him on sneaks and Hail Mary throws and stuff like that at the end of football games in place of Phillip Rivers trying to protect the now retired quarterback. And Brissett would get mugged by his teammates every single time that he was able to convert a first down or make a big play for his offense. Absolutely beloved by his teammates there in Indianapolis. He started 30 games in his career, began his career back in 2016 with the Patriots, then was traded to the to the Colts where he spent the next four years of his career. Six foot four, 238 pounds, a big, big body back there, big stature in the pocket. He's tough to bring down and he's got some, some subtle little instincts and nuance and movement in the pocket. He's not going to Lamar Jackson you and take a, a zone read off the edge and, and run for 80 yards. Doesn't have that kind of long speed or athletic ability, but when the pocket crumbles, he can slide around and show you that pocket mobility and find a new platform to throw the football from, or he can scramble. He had 202 scramble yards in 2019, that per pro football focus, so he can make plays off script. He also averages 2.94 seconds from snap to throw his last year in Indianapolis there as a starter, 2019. So he's more of a traditional drop back thrower with a big strong arm that kind of lets things develop and sees the thing, the, the route concepts develop down the football field, has a big, big strong arm. He can stretch the field both vertically and horizontally because of that. So 13 interceptions in his career on 983 pass attempts, 1.3%. Uh, pick percentage. And again, although not an open open field burner, his pocket mobility allows him to make big plays down the field. As for the fit here in Miami, you know, we talk all the time about the Dolphins' desire to be this team that can adapt according to what the defense or the offense on the other side of the football might do to you from their game plan standpoint, how to attack their weaknesses, how to be a week-to-week game plan team. And to me, Brissett's experience in so many different schemes and under so many different coaches and different systems really gives you that flexibility at the backup quarterback spot because one of the backup quarterback's main jobs is to help prepare your starting quarterback, whether it's going through the third down reel of the opposing defense or their blitz reel, picking things up, showing him, hey, here's a couple of weaknesses I saw in their scheme where you can attack when they do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, his rookie season with the Patriots, he oversaw what was a run-heavy attack when he came into the game after... Brady was suspended and Garoppolo was injured. He played for two and a half games. Actually, his first game was against our Miami Dolphins. And he saw this run heavy attack, basically a Cam Newton style offense where they just ran, ran, ran quarterback lead. A lot of that with him at the controls. He then served as Brady's backup for the 12 games remaining that season in 2016. And that, of course, we know is a complex rhythm based timing scheme with countless sight adjustments for the receiver. So you have to be sharp and precise in that regard. Then 2017 with the Colts, Rob Chudzinski, who if you go to this article on IndianapolisColts.com, he talks about that week-to-week adaptability, and he's been all over college and pro football too. So some more nuance in the system, verbiage, and understanding of multiple schemes for, for Jacoby Brissett. And then from 2018 to 2020, he plays under the uber-aggressive Frank Reich and now Nick Sirianni, the head coach with the with the uh, Eagles, and played in their offensive system, which was downfield, four verts, attack, attack, attack. So multiple schemes for Jacoby Brissett. And, you know, I talked about him coming onto the field for Phillip Rivers in rushing situations or sneak situations. 17 rushes last year, only averaged 1.1 yards per carry, which is a great stat, but he converted 12 of those 17 rushes 
into touchdowns or first downs, three touchdowns and nine first downs. So he can he can push the pile. And he started 15 games back in 2019 for Andrew Luck, passed for just under 3,000 yards, 18 touchdowns and six picks with a passer rating of 88.0. That year, play action, seven touchdowns, one interception. Under pressure, four touchdowns, one interception. And deep passing, 20 yards or more down the field. He was 12 for 43, 388 yards, two touchdowns and a pick and a passer rating of 51 So Jacoby Brissett steps into the roster as a backup quarterback. And again, not only does he provide that veteran experience, that veteran soundboard for the 23-year-old Tua Tungavailoa, he can come in and manage the offense to victory in the event that the starting quarterback goes down. So those guys came in. The news came in late on Tuesday. Wednesday morning, we wake up out here on the West Coast. We're recording the podcast right now. We got news about two defensive additions. And before we jump into Justin Coleman, just a general note on the defensive additions so far. I mean, they haven't been the marquee type of signings that's going to make the entire cognoscenti, as it were, really lose their collective minds. But you look at how each of these pieces might plug into this defense that, reminder, was number one in third down defense last year and number one in takeaways. Two very, very important traits of playing effective defense. I think they got better in both of those areas. Let's go ahead and start here with Justin Coleman and my notes on him after, you know, going back over his Seahawks tape because this is a guy whose career began with the Patriots and Brian Flores as well as Josh Boyer up in New England and he played there for a couple of seasons before winding up with the Seahawks for two years and then spent his last two years with the Lions and he came into the league as an undrafted free agent with the Vikings but then signed with the Patriots before camp got going or before the season got going and played his ball there. But you look at his skill set, it's painfully easy to see why the Dolphins would have interest in Justin Coleman's sticky, aggressive corner. It's got inside, outside flexibility and the familiarity he has with the system, again, coming from the New England you know, system a few years back, but he still played in it. And more of his snaps are on the slot than on the perimeter, but he has shown the ability to cover from that position, sometimes referred to as the toughest job on defense. Gerald Alexander actually called the nickel spot the toughest spot on defense last season. And Coleman can handle the responsibilities of kind of funneling and bracketing and doubling in that spot, but he can do more than that. He can handle it by himself without that safety help. And here's the reason why I think he can. He's very, very patient at the line of scrimmage. Whether he's up and press, whether he wants to throw a jam or just mirror and react that way, or when he's off kind of in that five-yard range, you'll see guys try to close the space between he and and the line of scrimmage, and he just patiently sits there and waits and reacts to the movement of the receiver, and this helps him drive on the ball. He's got 41 career pass breakups, a couple of picks, and two touchdowns, and that's that's how he gets there because he's so patient, he's so studied, he drives out of that, not even really a drop, just out of his initial alignment and makes plays in the football and I think the reason he can get away with that, because again, in that slot position, there are two-way goes. You you can be beat outside, inside, and on the outside, it's tougher because sometimes the progression of the route, you have to win inside. It's your only option. But in the slot, you've always got that two-way go inside, outside. And the reason I think that he's so adept at handling this is because he has exceptionally quick feet and change of direction skills. You go back to his measurements at the combine. 
And the playerprofile.com tracks some fantasy stats, but it also measures the player's explosivity rankings from an analytical standpoint. He is in the 98th percentile for his agility score, which covers three cone, 10 yard split, some of the other metrics that measure how quick a guy can get in and out of breaks and change directions. And man, he is fun to watch in that regard because this guy is uber athletic. He was a high school track star, ran a 11 second, 100 meters, also finished second in his class in 4A Georgia for the 300 meter hurdle. So a super, super athlete, which is so necessary at that spot for a Brian Flores and Josh Boyer and Miami Dolphins coach defense. They love to have guys with ball skills, long speed, guys that can play man coverage and track the football in the air. And they've got a bunch of these guys now. And Justin Coleman joins that group in a group where you can never have enough good cornerbacks in this league. And I believe Justin Coleman, after a dip in production the last two seasons with the Lions, I think this guy is a very, very good football player. I think you're going to have a better chance to have him get back to his Seahawks form because of the system, because of the scheme, because of the fit here in Miami. And speaking of the fit in Miami, one of the interesting aspects of this addition, as I was looking at the Dolphins roster, Coleman is the sixth player in the Dolphins secondary who has at least five years of NFL experience. And I thought that seems like a lot because this is such a young roster. So I went back and looked. The receivers have three players with five or more years of experience in Devontae Parker, Alan Hearns, and Albert Wilson. The offensive line has two with Eric Flowers and Jesse Davis. And by the way, Ted Karras signed with the Patriots now, so he is no longer on the roster. But they had two guys on the offensive line and no other position group had multiple players with five or more years of experience. So I thought about that and how integral it is to have guys on that back end that can communicate that don't have the breakdowns because as once again GA Gerald Alexander said last season big plays come through communication breakdowns in the defensive backfield and we saw Bobby McCain Eric Rowe just like a foosball table is what I always call it the way they moved was in tandem there was never like guys turning around putting their palms up to the air like I thought you had him this time that just didn't happen this season because for me because of the veteran experience and communication on that back end with McCain Rowe Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, and then of course Brandon Jones and Nick Needham, a couple of young players sprinkled in there. But now you get Justin Coleman, a veteran experienced player back there that can just continue to help that and help you excel in that. I also think he gives you a great matchup opportunity when teams roll out those four receiver sets or even three receiver sets if he plays the nickel. Because who led the league last year in 10 personnel sets? the Buffalo Bills, and they just destroyed teams with four receiver sets. And so you kind of combat that by ushering extra defensive backs onto the field. And remember, Miami, with formations with six or more defensive backs, were seventh most in the NFL last season. So they use a lot of defensive backs in this defense to help combat the modern-day passing attacks of opposing offenses. And again, back to Coleman and that sticky man coverage. I just think this gives you another guy that can help you play that cover zero look, can help you press man, can help really just lock up the first two seconds of the route while the pass rush gets home. I think it's a great fit, a great match. Some of his stats, this guy has a nose for the football, two career touchdowns, four forced fumbles, four more recovered fumbles, and has logged a total of 41 passes defensed in his career. And here's a stat for you. Opposing quarterbacks, when targeting Coleman in the slot position over his career, have a passer rating of just 86.1. So he's played so well in that position. And two years with Flores and Boyer back in 15 and 16, 39 receptions on 78 targets. That's 50% completion for 467 yards. 
at 5.99 yards per target. So under six yards per target. What an early career he had there with the Patriots and the Seahawks. Bit of a lull there with the Lions. We'll see if he can kind of rebound and get back to his old ways. I think he can here in this system. Joining that that secondary full of established veterans, ball hawks, guys that play tight, sticky man coverage. And I just think he fits the bill athletically, mentally, with a smart, tough, physical, smart player. I'm very excited about this Justin Coleman signing. And speaking of signings I am excited about, let's go ahead and finish up the Wednesday activity with Adam Butler, who I was pretty pumped on Bernardrick McKinney. Adam Butler can play football, man. This guy is a football player through and through. All four seasons so far in his career up there with the Patriots. And you want to talk about consistency for an undrafted free agent comes in and plays the highest snap workload of his career that rookie year, 524 snaps And the rest of his time, 480, 492, 481 snaps. He's played 47 of 48 possible games, consistently plays the same amount of reps every single season. His QB pressures, 27, 26, 26, and 28. He just consistently does the same stuff year in and year out. The same deal on the run stop side of things. And... When you look at his body composition and the tape, six foot five, three hundred pounds, thirty-three inch arms, and that pairs well with a one hundred one inch broad jump and nearly thirty inches on the vertical leap, tells you about his lower body explosive explosiveness, and it gives him a very quick get off. He is scary quick out of his stance. He can shoot gaps and penetrate upfield as a one gapper, or he can park the bus and play strength and more of a read and react two-gap style of defensive tackle. And man, he uses that weight to lean on opposing centers and guards, and that forces them into this retreat position where from there, he can then use that lateral quickness and his active hands to help him kind of create momentum, get those guys off balance, and then eventually earn the leverage and beat them in both pass rush and run situations. And talking about lateral agility, where do you need that the most? That's right, when you execute games, slants, twists, stunts, and the Dolphins call those things so often, he is a perfect fit for that job. And though most of his third down work comes pretty much nose up over the over the center and that nose tackle position or with a shade one technique off either shoulder of that center he is capable of playing multiple positions on early downs he would kick outside to a three technique or sometimes a two or two eye which the three technique is the outside shoulder of the guard the two technique is head up over that guard and just again execute a variety of of calls one gap two gap twist, stunt, slants, whatever it might be. And he comes to Miami to fortify a defensive line that had plenty of success in 2020. The Dolphins are strengthening a strength on the roster right here by getting Adam Butler involved, his production, but also his selflessness to help create chances for his teammates because this guy will set picks and create lanes for pass rushers. I just picture Jerome Baker and Bernardrick McKinney mugged up in the A-gaps with Adam Butler on either side. And all three of those guys have extremely explosive first-step quickness. And you've got the power of McKinney, the agility of Baker, and Butler with a little bit of both of those two things. You can drop any of them in coverage because Adam Butler has fallen back into that hook zone, kind of like Christian Wilkins last year, getting that big INT. You can confuse pass protection schemes. You can beat them immediately with one of those first-step quicknesses off the snap. I mean, these guys, they mesh together and pair together so well from that one formation, that perspective. I love the fit. Butler has 15 career sacks, 96 total tackles, nine career passes defense. He's forced to fumble. And again, like I mentioned, played in 47 out of 48 possible games. 
20 run stops back in 2019. That was a career high. Had 14 last year as well. So he helps the interior defensive line kind of, to me, toss their hat in the ring for the best position group on the team. Christian Wilkins, Zach Sealer, Raekwon Davis, and Benito Jones is there as well. Were each significant contributors in 2020, playing a variety of roles and producing against both the run and the pass. And we talked about this as far as how the flexibility of these Dolphins players and a positionless defense can help you have that flexibility. Now with these four defensive tackles, you can really kind of use them for defensive end snaps. You can use them for defensive tackle snaps. I think it all just comes together very well at that position. And in addition to really piling up hurries, hits, and sacks, this guy just, he is such a team-friendly pass rusher who will stay true to his gap and rush and set picks and just blow up blockers and create lanes for his guys. So I am super excited about this position. And again, to fortify that third down defense, man, with the pass rush, the ability to put quarterbacks at kind of some unease in the middle of the formation, staring down Baker, McKinley, or McKinney rather, and Adam Butler. And I think you've got uh, your penetrator with Adam Butler, your blitzer with Bernardrick McKinney, and now a new slot that can help you rotate where the double teams go and confuse the quarterback that way because they might not know where the bracket's going to come from and give you that good aggressive man coverage across the board. The Dolphins' third down defense was the best in the National Football League last year, and I think it got better. And back on the offensive side of the football, the Dolphins add a receiver in Robert Foster, who was undrafted in 2018 out of Alabama. He signed with the Buffalo Bills and had a nice rookie season, 27 catches, 541 yards for an average of 20 yards per catch. He scored three touchdowns, catching 61.4% of his passes for 12.3 yards per target. And I had Joe Marino, the host of Locked On Bills, on an episode of the Locked On Dolphins podcast a couple years ago, and he had Foster pegged for a breakthrough candidate in 2019. It didn't happen that way. He caught three passes that year and then moved on to Washington last season where he caught two passes for 37 yards, but he's a 4-3-3 40-yard dash guy, explosive as all get out, six foot two, just a smidge under 200 pounds. He can flat burn. He'll have a chance to kind of get back to that 2018 form here with the Miami Dolphins this season. All right, there's a good little gap to go ahead and add any additional free agents that do sign with Miami over the next couple of days. And as we head into the weekend, and speaking of that, happy March Madness, y'all. I mean, how bad did you miss having that tournament last year? March Madness has, to me, always been the bridge between the Super Bowl and baseball season that helps complete that lull in the sports calendar. And I will say, I am finding myself getting more and more into the Miami Heat. I've tried for a long time. Dwayne Wade really helped when he first came into the league back in 2004, 2003. But the super team that won two titles definitely helped as well. But you just can't force love. And my heart still belonged to the Seattle Supersonics for over a decade after they left town here. But I find myself checking heat scores and airdropping the games onto my TV from my phone. So let's go heat, baby. But still, I'm excited that we get March Madness this year. Let's go ahead and pick this thing back up with the free agent board, what it still has to offer. And again, we might have to edit this thing a bit before publishing as we try to make the podcast as up-to-date as we possibly can be. Just bear with me. If we don't get to something on this podcast, we'll get to you on the next podcast. So just... We'll, we'll get it all we'll get it all in trust me that's what drive time does here we're comprehensive we include everything and speaking of that we're going to exclude the quarterback and running back position here in the free agent look ahead because of Brissett and Brown in tow and start with what has been the most interesting position so far in free agency 
the wide receivers. Corey Davis, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, A.J. Green go off the board, Marvin Jones early in the week. And those guys all ranked in that, you know, 50 to 150 range of those top PFF, NFL.com, whatever list you looked at. Those guys went off the board first. And how weird is that? It's almost always top of the market first, reset, reassess, and then the second wave goes off. But these guys go first while some guys that were top 10, top 20 on the free agent list for PFF, guys like Kenny Galladay, Juju Smith-Schuster, it'll be interesting to see what type of deals these guys get, if they can be in Miami's plans as the Dolphins continue to add value buys to bolster rotations and depth and create more flexibility for 2021 and 2022, and not just with the cap, but they're giving themselves draft flexibility, which me to me allows you to stick to your price points because you can just say to a prospective free agent, hey, we have four picks in the top 50. We can address those positions and any four of those spots and be totally okay. But as far as the free agent board goes, I'm still intrigued by those names, by T.Y. Hilton, Will Fuller, and Demir Bird, who all remain unsigned. On the offensive line, Ted Karras, we mentioned this earlier, signed with the Patriots, and that gives us Michael Dieter with some college experience, and he played some there in the preseason back in 2019, and Jesse Davis, who played there in camp last year a little bit, but not much, and also Cameron Tom, who's on a futures contract as your center's under contract right now. So let's get a look at this class, and I think David Andrews probably tops the market currently, the guy that Ted Karras is going to New England to supposedly replace, which is funny because they were both on that roster together for a few years, and Karras was his backup and, and a guard backup as well, the swing interior guy. But David Andrews has been a very good player for a long time. To me, he's the top center on the market. We'll see what happens with him and where he winds up. But that's, I guess, besides that, it's the, the center market in free agency is always pretty thin. This year, I also like Nick Martin from Houston. He's a good player. But other than that, it seems like he's a little bit, the market's a little bit thin at that center spot. Now, where else the market is thin is at the edge position because so many players have signed from that position group, whether it's outside linebackers or defensive ends. And we covered this with the Adam Butler signing, giving Miami four damn good defensive tackles that maybe you can kind of adjust the scheme and just have your Emmanuel Ogbaz and your Andrew Van Ginkles and, and possibly some work from Jason Strobridge as well as the draft and whatever that brings you. But currently, I think right now there's one bell of the ball at the edge position. And that, of course, is Jadavian Clowney, who has been connected to the Dolphins a couple of times in the past, but he is a free agent right now. He remains unsigned and truthfully probably is the only guy out there on the market that you can expect to sign, plug him in and get 800 plus snaps out of currently. Of course, again, the draft might offer you some options that way as well. So we look at the rest of the group on defense. I think defensive back, you know, you could have some more bargain possible shops back there as you can never have enough defensive backs and good cover corners. And at linebacker, we'll see what happens there as well. But Bernardrick McKinney and Jerome Baker, those are two guys that rarely leave the field. So anybody coming into that group is going to have to either beat them out or serve as backup roles behind those guys. So we'll cover more of this as it goes along here. I want to go ahead and finish up this edition of the Drive Time Podcast, kind of a week one recap, take a look at the roster and weigh where the needs still exist, where the opportunities are, where we might go in the draft. Let's go ahead and start at the quarterback position and do sort of a rapid fire edition. And starting with those QBs, obviously Tua Tungavailoa, your starter, your, your player you're hoping to develop and, and turn into a long-term answer here at the quarterback spot. 
with Jacoby Brissett as your backup. I think you have to look at those top two guys and feel pretty good about your ability to both win games and develop that young guy as the starter. And then if he goes down in the game and you need 15, 20 snaps or throws from your backup quarterback, it, you can do a lot worse than Jacoby Brissett at that backup quarterback spot. And then Reed Sinet on a futures contract will compete and develop as well. At the running back spot, we talked about this pretty in-depth. Gaskin, Ahmed, Laird, and Malcolm Brown with Jordan Scarlett on a futures contract. I think there's an area of opportunity there, whether it's in the draft, in free agency, and come back and, and add another body to that room. Maybe a guy that's that fits this mold of three down backs and a guy that can play 75-80% of your workload on Sundays. We know by now about the top three guys in that first tier with Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, and Javante Williams. Benjamin Solak broke that down on the podcast for us last week. I think if you if you want to go that route... To me, all three of those guys could go in the first round. And to me, all three of them will be off the board by pick 36. So you could see some maneuvering if that's where you want to go. You could make a pick at 18 there if you want to go that route. But there are multiple options and multiple scenarios for the Dolphins should they choose to go out and acquire another running back and continue to attack that position. At receiver, we've talked about this market at length. I think the way that the free agent market develops will be highly intriguing and could provide Miami with veteran options. And maybe this deep draft class is helping kind of hold things up there at the top as teams look to possibly get a game breaker on night one and maybe even valuable contributors, even as rookies in year one on day two and into early day three even. But with Parker, Williams, Bowden, Grant, Perry, Hearns and Wilson and Kirk Merritt on a futures contract, there is talent in the room, but as Brian Flores and Chris Greer mentioned in their joint press conference a couple months back, adding playmakers is a priority, and there are, between free agency and the draft, a ton of playmakers to be had at that spot. At tight end, I think you feel pretty good about the position. We've discussed my affinity for Kyle Pitts, and I, I don't really classify him as a tight end. I think you just drop him into your offense and worry about descriptions for him later. But you add this H-back type and Seathan Carter to the dangerous Mike Gesicki and the rock-solid, good inline blockers and Durham Smythe and Adam Shaheen with Chris Myrick still developing. You feel pretty good about that group there. Now, we mentioned Ted Karras and David Andrews at that center position. That right now appears to be one spot you might need to add a body to be able to line up on Sundays. And before I continue that thought, I am interested to see where Michael Dieter is at this point in his development, year three out of uh, out of the third round back in 2019. But if they want to make a splash there, David Andrews is a damn good player. And then Creed Humphrey and Landon Dickerson, to me, are round one. Plug and play. You hand them their draft cap. You also hand them the starting position night one of the draft if you make that move. Those are the three guys that are kind of in my crosshairs. I'm also interested in tackle depth in this draft because I think there are going to be some really good players that get pushed down because of how good this class is. A guy like Samuel Cosme out of Texas comes to mind as a bruising right tackle type. On defense, I waxed poetic about the interior defensive line, so I'll mostly be good there at that spot unless it's like a day three space eater type. But the edge, I think there are all kinds of options there. If you want more of a Shaq Lawson type replacement, Carlos Basham from Wake Forest, a guy I've talked about on this podcast a lot. If you're looking for a Kyle Van Noy replacement, and that's not McKinney, guys, completely different players. If you're looking for a Van Noy replacement, 
I think you might look at Texas as Joseph Asai because like Van Noy, he was an off-ball guy that moved to edge and this last season at Texas was the only tape he had there and showed a lot of bite despite only having one condensed season of tape at that position. And he was even a little bit unrefined at that spot, still getting production as he learned the position. So I picture him with coaching from a Flores and a Boyer, Austin Clark and Robbie Leonard. And I like his chances there in that spot as well. Zayvon Collins, another big time prospect, a first round type prospect, an attractive option we've covered on this podcast as well. Linebacker, again, just I think we're pretty much good there unless they want to add depth. I think corner is pretty well taken care of as well with Justin Coleman, especially with Noah Igbenogany still in tow and developing. I have very high expectations for him as well. And then it's safety. Again, I think you exclusively look to the rookies like a Tyree Gillespie from Missouri. He is my guy. Outstanding instincts and play speed. Uh, A guy that I would be thrilled to get maybe late day two, early day three. So with week one of free agency about to wrap, Receiver, draft and or free agency. Running back, probably through the draft. Center, draft or free agency. Tackle depth in the draft. Edge through the draft and maybe a safety through the draft as well. That's my take. That's my time. That's the week here on this edition of Drive Time. A reminder, we're going to have exclusive interviews with the new acquisitions here on the Drive Time podcast. We'll start start rolling those out sometime next week. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe, rate, review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. uh, Keep your eye out for us on YouTube. We're coming your way on YouTube here soon. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible podcast. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. We're going to have scheme fit, film study, stats posted to MiamiDolphins.com with all of these players breaking them down here as they become official. Until next time, fins up.